Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. Tonight, people, we have an awesome show. Um, we have Miss Brooks Daniel, and I'm excited for her to be here tonight because we're getting ready to kick off a five-part series. Anyone who's been here know that we love entrepreneurship. Oh, my goodness, we love entrepreneurship. But, you know, entrepreneurship can be a challenge. It's been said that after civil rights, we produced a whole generation of individuals who are dependent upon corporate it has been stated that entrepreneurship is the path to, cre to creating financial stability, wealth, and security for the African-American culture. Recently, African-American women have been identified as the largest growing segment in the entrepreneurship, startup, small business category. And I'm excited here tonight to introduce you guys to a good friend, Brooke, as she begins to share her story and her perspective of what's going on in the world of entrepreneurship. Hey, Brooke, how you doing? Hey, Calvin. I'm so excited to be here tonight. Awesome. Awesome. So what do you think about Katie's game? I mean, a little um, special, um, you know, I don't know. You went on the board, Brooke. What happened? I See, I know, I know the chorus. <laughs> I'm one of those people. I grew up tapped. So I'm all about the music, the musicality of songs. And sometimes I'm not all into the lyrics. So I was with a couple of those, but not the fastest. Yes, yes. There, there was definitely a, a few of them. You've done so much awesome work. You say it best. Tell us about you. Tell us about your origin story. We would love to hear about the work that you're most proud of. Absolutely. Absolutely. My career started actually uh, at Winthrop University. So I'm originally from Rock Hill, South Carolina. I reside in Charlotte now. And originally I had a broadcast degree and wanted to be a reporter. Love writing, love storytelling. But my journey ended up taking me to Germany right after college. And I worked at BMW Financial Services on an SAP project. And it changed my life, changed my career, opened my eyes to enterprise technology came back to the U.S. and went into the enterprise tech space and very quickly found a passion for startups. So spent seven years at a company called NTAP on their growth journey from 10 million ARR to over 100 million ARR, advised a startup company called Ping from their seed round all the way through their series A of 12 million. They just raised a 36 million series B. And then now my career has taken me to Salesforce where I worked on the enterprise sales team for three years. And now I'm in our venture capital unit at Startup Venture uh, Salesforce Ventures, where we invest in startup companies and I get involved to help them grow their business faster. And then personally, I love that you kind of brought out our uh, first business. So the very first business I launched with my husband was Street Spice, which was a food truck doing gourmet street food and sliders here in Charlotte. Since then, we just have a passion for entrepreneurship. We've done e-commerce businesses. Uh, now we're focused on the entrepreneur. So we have businesses that go together. I do business coaching courses, mentorship. My husband helps founders access business credit. And then we have a passion for real estate investing, development, et cetera. 
Awesome. Thank you for that. That's the flyby, Calvin, story. Well, 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 thank you for that, because when I go through and do my edits, I'll make sure that I pull my part out and replace it with yours. So thank you for that. So, Brooke, tell us about your, you know, latest um, venture, because I think you recently relaunched your website and you have a new program, um, Ready, Aim, Launch. Do you mind telling us about that program? Absolutely. So you can check it out at uh, www.thebrookdaniels.com. And I did just launch a program. So in the work that I'm doing with entrepreneurs and founders, I've worked with companies that have really hit a lot of scale. And I'm finding that no matter what the company is in terms of industry, size, the customer and the audience, there are still specific business principles that carry through end to end for every business. And so what I'm focused on is how do I take all of these business principles I've learned working at some of the top companies like Salesforce, working with some of the highest growth startup companies and bring that down to the everyday entrepreneur. And so the Ready, Aim, Launch course, we have the course of mentorship. I do some private VIP coaching as well, but it's all about helping entrepreneurs who have a great idea, build a great business model around that idea. So we do everything from entrepreneurial mindset, how to understand the competitive landscape, but not just to research it, to use it to create an advantage for your company, all the way through the business modeling and financials and through to a strong go-to-market and launch plan, which is so important because the majority of businesses fail, not because they don't have a great idea, not because they don't have a great product, but because they fail on go-to-market execution. Awesome. You know, thanks for sharing that, Brooke. You know, I remember when I first um, observed you, we were at UNC, um, giving feedback, coaching um, business students and launching their programs. And I remember as you were giving advice, I was like, hmm, she's pretty good. And it was something about your directness, the way you just kind of broke it down. And I remember the deer in the headlight stares from the students when they were like, uh, I'm not ready. But I can tell that you were instantly creating value, right? So tell us about, you know, your clients and some of the clients you work with. I mean, do they get deer in the headlight stare or, you know, how do you help your clients? You know, do you mind giving us a, you know, insight into what a typical engagement looks like for you? Absolutely. And I remember that too, Calvin. We had such a good time coaching together at UNC at Keenan Flagler. It was awesome. So I hope I see you again this fall whenever we kick back, uh, kick back off again. But You know, I think the deer in headlight stare is okay. And that's why I always share kind of me and my husband's experience with the food truck, because that was the very first business we launched. We didn't exactly know what we were doing, but trying to figure it out. And so I try to tell people who have those moments that it can feel overwhelming, but that's what I'm here for as a business coach is to help you break it down into small bite-sized pieces to get through it. A lot of entrepreneurs, I think, focus on the idea and the product but not necessarily the business strategy or they get overwhelmed with the numbers. And that's really the meat and potatoes of, of what it is we do. And so I'll tell you recently this week, I've met with two different entrepreneurs who want to get ready to go raise funding. And they're coming to me asking me specifically for support with their pitch. And I really had to break it down that the pitch itself becomes easy when you have your business strategy in place right? Pitches go wrong because you can't defend things. People dig into your numbers and we go two layers deep and there's no substance there. And so a lot of the work I do with my founders, everybody wants to worry, think about the pitch, think about the pitch. We all want a great pitch. We watch Shark Tank, right? I know we're going to hear some pitches later. The pitch is so important, but what makes the pitch great? It's the business strategy behind the pitch, right? It's how you've built out your model, how you're thinking about go to market, how you get 
people excited about the opportunity. And so actually a lot of work that I do with my uh, founders and entrepreneurs is get them to take a step back from the pitch and to deep dive deeper into their strategy so they can then be prepared to have a strong pitch, if that makes sense. You know, I love that you do that because, you know, honestly, I don't have the patience to do it, right? You know, I'll I'll look at a pitch and I'll look at, you know, uh, a business model and I'll just like, hmm. But I just think it's awesome that someone like you exists to kind of help that because I don't know, you have such awesome experience. And I really want to talk about that experience because what you do in your coaching is a part of your story. But one thing I've seen, you know, as I begin to prepare for tonight is all of the work you've done and the things that you've been doing in the community. So as we be getting ready to talk about, you know, venture capital and venture, and excuse me, angel investing, to me, I think that's part of the exciting part that is kind of giving you additional skills to kind of help your entrepreneurs. But I don't know, that's my observation. Absolutely. You know, I think they go hand in hand. Uh, if you've ever heard the, have you heard the phrase that uh, business is the greatest like vehicle for change? Are you familiar with that? Oh, I hadn't heard that one. I like it though. That's been our motto at Salesforce. It's That's one of the reasons why I love Salesforce as a company, but I bring that over to all the work that we do as well. But it's this notion that business can be the way that we make impact, not just in our personal lives, but in the lives of our community, the people we care about. And I just embrace that. Me and my husband embrace that through and through. So there's nothing, nothing more rewarding than the work we do, um, even with coaching entrepreneurs, but also in the community. And so I'm super involved in DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. I sit on the steering committee for Black VC. If anyone's familiar with that group, they have a uh, mission around getting more representation for people of color in venture capital, but we also focus on bridging that funding gap. Uh, And then beyond that, I've done a lot of DEI work on helping more people get into tech careers. Now I'm kind of focusing some of that work on helping uh, founders of color get the information and resources they need to be successful. Yeah, you know, and and that's um, and that's definitely um, awesome work. I want to give people the backdrop real quick of, you know, this world that you're stepping into. Um, It has been stated, as I said earlier, that. Recently, African-American women have been considered the largest segment of growing in small business and entrepreneurship. And often on the show, we end up encountering tons of women entrepreneurs. And I've just kind of got excited because I'm like, based on what you're saying, it's an avenue for change, right? And, you know, I recently was in a talk and we just kind of talked about these ladies, these pioneers, these founders who are creating these businesses are also creating a certain type of change in their community. But let me read a statement. There have been many reasons why black and minority uh, ethnic women have not been able to access to angel investors, such as lack of access of capital, limited networks, or lack of role models and mentor within the industry. One of the statements that has been said to truly invest in inclusive innovation, we need to be intentional in creating community opportunities for funding and resources and opportunities to build generational wealth for these underrepresented founders and investors. But before we get into the complicated, I just want to kind of start over from the basic venture capital. Brooke, let's just get started from the beginning. You know, some of these terms, you know, it's I mean, it's a complicated topic, but we're going to break it down. Let's just start with the basic. What is venture capital? Absolutely. So I'll take it one step further than that in terms of breaking it down, Calvin, which is the fact that every business needs money to get started. Let's just call it what it is. Doesn't matter how big or small you are. You need money to run a business. You need money to scale. You need money to grow. 
you need money to put in products. And so one of the biggest hurdles I see in our community is that people, we feel like it has to be our personal cash to be able to have the money we need to start a business, which is just not true. Uh, That's not how the big companies do it, right? And they use these different vehicles to be able to get access to capital. And there's different ways to do it, but we'll talk about venture capital first, maybe Calvin and Kadavin and some other ways for founders to get capital. But venture capital is for companies that are extremely, extremely high growth, who are willing to take on money um, and give away a part of pretty much equity in their company for, for the cost of that money. Usually venture capital is raised in different rounds and each round has a set of criteria that investors look for to invest in that round. And so it could it starts usually at a pre-seed seed round, uh, friends and family, where you're maybe getting that initial set of funding in place to be able to prove out your concept. Once you've got product market fit, you usually go to kind of a series A round where you're now ready to grow, scale, take on customers. And it kind of continues as you hit each milestone and grow the business. You're able to raise a lot of money, millions and millions of dollars, but at the cost of ownership in your company. And so for a lot of founders, by the time they get to a series DE round and they're about to exit, whether that's IPO or the company getting acquired, you know, they've diluted their value. You may only own at that point, you know, under 15 or 20%, sometimes even under 10% as an owner. But the trade-off for VC money is that because you've been able to grow so fast with these cash infusions, you've created a bigger business where now you maybe only have five or 10% left, but that piece is still going to be bigger than the piece you may have had, have had, had you done the funding yourself, if that makes sense. Awesome. Thank you for breaking it down. And and that's one of the things I love we do here at Southern Soul, right? We don't get too complicated and we just kind of break it down for the people. So I, I like the way you described that, Brooke. Every business needs money. And I like the way you described it. In our community, we may think it's our money and we have to do it on our money. How about angel investing, angel investors? How is that different from venture capital? Let's venture capital. Angel investors, you know, it is still venture capital money in a sense. It's just that usually it's raised from individuals or networking groups versus a fund. And so the fund concept is, a group of people get together, they're general partners, they go raise a lot of money from these uh, LPs, which are limited partners, that all put money in the fund. And then the partners decide where to put that money in terms of startup companies for a return. Whereas angel investing is more so actual individual angels using their personal money. Uh, so for me as an angel investor, those are dollars right out of my pocket going directly to a founder versus investing in a fund that kind of spreads it out. Angels usually have a lot more control over where they invest. A lot of times it's also people who just have a passion for entrepreneurship. So on the angel side, you'll find friendlier terms and angels are usually involved a lot earlier. Um, And there's some different angel groups out there. I'm involved with an angel group called Cap Table Coalition, which I love. It's all about Black and Latinx investors, angel investors taking up space on cap tables. And so our thing is, is on the other side, it's kind of a flip side of entrepreneurship, but on the investing side, it's like we should be able to participate in wealth creation just like everyone else. And that includes being able to invest in the best companies. And so we're challenging companies, even if they're not minority backed, all companies need to have diversity on their cap tables and their investors. And so we are really pushing a narrative to get people to carve out 10% of their rounds for Black and Latinx investors. And then our group works to fill that round. Awesome. You know, I I love that group and I love the excitement of it. I love the part where you say carving out that 10%, right? 
you know, these big organizations that not even thinking about certain organizations or communities, you know, it's great to have an organization such as, what's the name of that organization again? Cap Table Coalition. Cap Table Coalition, because you guys do so much. And do you mind just telling us a little bit more about that, you know, because I know you guys are a group and you advocate for that 10%, but tell us more about why y'all exist and, you know, what's the sole purpose of it? So same thing when you look at, you know, anywhere, whether it's tech, VC, entrepreneurship, when it comes to representation is woefully behind. And what we found was when you think about VC, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about how we overcome some of the challenges that entrepreneurs face, but there's also challenges to even uh, be a minority and be in venture capital or be an angel investor and get access to deals. And Cap Table Coalition tries to break that down not just by taking up space on cap tables, but also by lowering the barriers to entry to invest as an angel investor. So we know that because we don't have as much generational wealth in our communities, it can be tough for somebody to invest 50,000, right? To write a $50,000 check or a $100,000 check. Historically, you had to be writing checks at that size to be able to, to be an angel investor. And so for Cap Table Coalition, sometimes the minimums are literally as low as $1,000, $2,500, you get to pick where you write your checks. So it's completely up to you. There's no pressure. We just bring deals. We bring the information. You get to sign up. And then we're also giving people that experience they need to then become full-fledged investors by getting some deal flow. For me also, I sit on the investment committee. So for people in our community that want to raise a fund someday, they're on the investment committee as well, where they're getting that experience to run deals alongside the founder. So it's a great organization. We're making money. We're investing in top startups and getting looks at amazing deals, but we're also doing it in a way where people can participate with lower minimum thresholds and the goal of like really getting people experience here on the deal side to then take that on if they want to go into VC full time or raise a fund. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Because when I hear about that group, I just get really excited because there's so much awesome work being done. And like you said, even by participating on the community, you get other opportunities or you know, work that's been done. We've kind of talked about this, but, you know, I kind of want to revisit a little bit the, you know, the challenges that we see in the VC industry, you know, the barriers to capital or, you know, overall the VC industry. You know, I guess a, a lot of people, you know, they hear VC and they get excited. I remember when we sat down, you really kind of helped me understand that not every company should be seeking, you know, venture capital money. And it just really kind of, it humbled me a little bit, but it really gave me pause. I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Can you kind of just give us some insight into this VC industry, what it looked like traditionally? What are some trends that are happening? And like you said before, why it's not a fit for all companies? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you think about, this is actually the very, very first module that I cover in the Ready Aim launch program is really a level set about what's important to you as a founder. And an entrepreneur. And so Calvin, I shared with you with our food truck that me and my husband had together. It was successful, top 10 food truck. We were expanding. We're about to move into a brick and mortar, but we weren't happy with the lifestyle. It was nights and weekends, it was summers. We had to vacation in the winter. Turnover and hospitality was tough. And so even though we had a business that was successful and making money, we didn't love the lifestyle. And so for us, we decided to pivot and go on to something else. We sold the truck. We moved on. We found a better fit. And so when you think about is venture capital for me, you really have to level set on your expectations for your business. Is it a lifestyle business that it wants? Is it something where I'm service driven, I'm trading my time for money? Do I want high growth managing a big company and big teams and 
you really got to tune in on what it is that you want as an entrepreneur first before you can build anything. Second, the thing to know about venture capital is it is extraordinarily high growth. I mean, in those early years, you're looking for 6x to 10x growth year over year. And so this is where we get in the weeds on the business model. You got to show me a business model where you can get 6x, right? 6x growth year over year over year for venture capital to be worth it. I work with people to help them figure out what that model is. If you can dream it, we can do it. But then once you see what it takes to do it, you'll be amazed. And I know we do this at uh, UNC together, Calvin. But when we get in those numbers and it's like, man, I got to make $5 million a year. And we break that down to the quantities and your price point. And what kind of team is it going to take to support $5 million a year? You go sell it. You got to support $5 million a year in customers. Like, what does that actually look like? And if we build that out and you're looking at it like, I do not want to manage this team. This seems like a lot right? Venture capital money is probably not for you. If you can't get your model to work where you can grow 6X to 10X year over year in those early years, venture capital money is not for you. But if that excites you, if that kind of high growth excites you, if that vision of IPO exit and really having this company behind you gets you excited, then we can absolutely find the model to get you there. Uh, And then I tell people on the other side, if we can't find the model to get you there, then you don't have a sustainable business. But I would say, I don't know if that got to the heart of the question, Calvin, but. Yes, yes, it actually did. And and I chuckled only because, as you mentioned numbers, you know, it it, it just kind of alluded me to my next question. But I chuckled because, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing some numbers thrown together, right? And you look at those numbers, and yet you're trying to take the, the founder, the presenter serious, but the numbers are like crazy. You're like, this doesn't make any sense, right? So, so let's talk about uh, this. Let's say you're, you know, an investor and you begin to look at um, some numbers. Let's say you, what, in your opinion, would be worst? Um, some crazy inflated numbers or a crazy inflate, financial numbers or crazy inflated marketing growth strategy. What would be like the biggest pet peeve or concern for you? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say a little bit of both. They have to match. That's the thing. It, it's not one or the other. Like you can have, so one, if you think about, people talk about the TAM, which is the total addressable market. When you talk about the art of possible, you want a big TAM first. No one's going to get excited about business if you're saying the total possibility of this market is 10 million. It's like, right? That's not a VC backable business. You got to make that total market b- bigger. So on the TAM, you can definitely build a big market. But when you get down your actual projections, this is what I tell people. They just have to match. You can't tell me that you're going to do 10 million year one and then show me a go-to-market plan that only shows 500,000 in revenue. Does that make sense? They have to match. So whatever numbers you want to project, you need to project them in a way that you can show a supporting plan to get there. And when you're early, you have to have enough focus to get product market fit. We talk so much about product market fit. Sometimes it feels like, oh, I've sold two customers as product market fit. Not all the time if they're in different spaces. Do you know what I mean? So if I've sold one enterprise customer and one small business customer and they both are great, I think I've got product market fit. I'm ready to go raise and scale. That's actually not true, right? We're looking for multiple customers. We're looking for understanding what value it is you're providing. You've gotten some feedback on pricing. And when you get ready to kind of raise and scale, you want to have a very specific strategy on how you're going to capture a specific share of the market before you expand into a bunch of different markets, if that makes sense. So I'm just going to throw out something random. Let's say I'm selling, I don't know, hair oil, a hair product. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to sell hair oil and I'm selling um, actual hair. 
and I'm doing like all of these secondary products, I'm about to go crush it. We would actually say, show me you can crush it on one or two products first and quickly capture that market share before you tell me that you're going to go do all these different things. Because each thing that you do, guess what? It requires money for those products, right? It requires marketing specifically for those different product lines. It requires, in some cases, those are different customer segments. You have different sales teams or different tactics to get to each audience. You're going to be spread way too thin, too fast early. And so we really try to get people to focus in on that that product market fit um, to get ready to scale. You know, I think that's a great answer because I think it's real and it's practical. Um, one of the things that um, in this backdrop of watching um, small businesses get ready to, you know, ready, aim, launch, it's typically you run into, my favorite thing is your business is kind of like your personality. If you have a strength and your business has that strength, if you have a weakness, your business has that weakness. Let's say you're good at financials. Well, your business is good at financials. But if you're bad at marketing or attention to detail, then your business is bad as that too. And it just excites me because it goes back to your program, Ready, Aim, Launch. Because it's human to be good at one or two of these things. And it's very human to be good at none of them. But I think it's cool to have someone like you who can walk them through the process in addition to knowing what the ultimate goal is. And if their ultimate goal is that 6x, 10x growth, right, and they're definitely ready to head in that venture capital perspective, then you could begin to groom them for that direction. As opposed to, like you said, you get to the pitch, and once you get to the pitch, you're like, ah, this pitch is not working. Well, the pitch is not working because the foundation isn't there. So I'm just getting excited hearing about it. So kudos to you. Let's let's talk about angel investing. And I just kind of, you know, kind of, well, you know, well, let's see here. Yeah, let's talk about angel investing. And maybe um, I could give one more comment too, because I just saw a comment in the chat. Do you mind if I, yeah, I kind of yeah, comment please, please. on uh, Terry's comment in chat? Mm-hmm. Because I know what you mean, um, Terry, where you're saying marketing feels overwhelming. And kind of to Calvin's point, you don't have to be the expert in everything. But as a CEO or entrepreneur, you do need to understand strategically what you need to be successful. And so what I mean by that is you have to understand basic marketing principles to say you don't have to execute it, but enough to know, hey, if I'm going after XYZ, I know I need a nurture campaign. I understand the importance of email marketing, right? I understand where my audience is going to be. Are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Instagram? Are they at my brick storefront? So you don't have to execute it, but you do need to be able to think about how to meet your customer. And if you find that challenging in certain places, go ahead and look for people you can pull in. I know when we're early, we do a lot of, um, when we're really early before we're ready to hire a team or bring on a partner, doing outsourcing or getting contractors to come in and help you execute or bringing in the expertise to help build it out. But you're right, Calvin, we do cover kind of that 360 degree viewpoint um, in the Ready, Aim, Launch course. But the point of it is not that you have to be the expert to go execute it, but you do have to be the expert of your strategy. You do know how how you have to execute, but you don't have to do the work, if that makes sense. Same with branding, knowing that you need branding, knowing the components of branding that are important, knowing I need to speak to my audience with outcomes and emotions. People don't buy what you're doing to get them there. They buy the result. Knowing those things help you then go find the people who can help you execute on it. Yeah, and, and that's a great segue um, for your initial consultation. Do you do initial consultation? We're going to wrap up with becoming an angel investor, but let's talk about your initial um, consultation. How does that work? Do you provide like some 15-minute initial consultation, or how do you begin to initially connect with customers? 
So it depends. With the Ready Aim Launch course, I have a lot of information already uh, set up online. And so for that one, you can sign up right on the website for the course. It's We go over eight weeks, but you can consume it at whatever temp, uh, whatever uh, speed you'd like. But the group coaching goes over eight weeks. So we go through that. I end up getting a cohort together where week by week, we can go through the concepts together. We can ask questions. We can create community as we go through these step-by-step uh, blueprint to build out the business. And so for that, you can actually go straight to the website and sign up for that course. If you're interested in the VIP coaching, that's actually usually for either for more seasoned entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that have some product market fit and really want a fast start. I've got an online questionnaire assessment you can fill out. And then once you fill out that assessment, our team goes through it and then we reach out to set up uh, an introductory call. So a little bit different depending on what you're looking for, but my entrepreneurs that are usually ready to get started, they've got the idea, they needed to piece it together. So much good content is already packaged up in that course. I kind of try to push people there and then we get involved on the group mentorship. But if you really want the one-on-one, I have an assessment that you can fill out to just give me some more info on challenges, what's working well, what's your vision, you know, what does this mean to you in terms of success, what's your dream life and business, and then we'll reach out to set up a call. You know, know, that's really cool that you have that engagement and it's really self-service, right? So people can just sign up. You know, if you guys have picked up, I'm really kind of proud of Brooke because she's doing the exciting part of the work that I know that I don't have passion for. If you guys know me, I'm more on the marketing side, more on the community building side, the connecting side. I like to be able to go to a person like Brooke to be like, hey, Brooke, you know, we've done our part on the marketing, the growth and the, the business model. Can you take us to the next level? So I definitely enjoy that. Brooke, one of the things I'm excited about is this whole angel investing part of the conversation. I mean, I was looking up somewhere and there's like this certified angel investor and it's like, oh, you got to make at least 200K. I'm like, wow, that sounds crazy. But is that for everybody? Let's talk about angel investor more specifically becoming an angel investor because one thing i know the sisters are out here ready they 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 making money they start their businesses and they ready you know sometimes it's just access to information tell us about i guess not your personal journey but tell us about this whole angel investor industry and do you really have to make 200k to become a certified or you know how does it work absolutely so angel investing is one of the riskiest asset classes because if you think about what angel investing is, we're, you're literally putting your money into someone else's company and their hopes and dreams, and we're expecting them to execute on it to a certain point where we can get a return. But it's high risk, high reward, if that makes sense. So you might higher risk. And, and what I mean by that is some funds, a lot of funds expect something like 70 to 75% of the companies where they invest to fail. Because we see it on the news all the time. How often do we see some scandal with a CEO of a a startup company and the whole company tanks, right? It happens all the time. And so it's just a high risk asset category. And because of that, you do have to be an accredited investor to angel invest. I do think there are some platforms out there that are getting around it. Um, I can look up a couple for you, Calvin, if that's interesting, where they're allowing non-accredited investors to invest. But generally, everything that we're investing in, I'd say 95% of the time, you have to be an accredited investor to angel invest. It's really because just the risk is so high. And so to be an accredited investor, you have to meet, uh, I think, one of three tests, either a million dollars in uh, assets like total value, um, personally, 200000 a year in uh, income over the past, I think it's two to three years, 
or specific knowledge, or you work in an industry that would make you capable of investing in angels. So if you worked at a fund like I do, then that would qualify, even if you can't meet those other criteria. I don't 100% agree with it, but I do tell people all the time, angel investing sounds sexy, but there's a lot of other places you should be investing first. And so, as I mentioned, my husband and I, we hold stocks. My husband's just getting started with some options investing, but we also do real estate investing. And so for people that really want to diversify their asset class outside of just traditional stocks or, you know, they've got their 401k and they want to do something else to kind of diversify, I personally always recommend real estate first. And there's passive real estate opportunities or active ones or so. We could talk for hours about real estate investing. Um, I'm super passionate about real estate investing too, but I always recommend checking out some of those asset classes first before you get to angel because not only is it high risk, but it's also long-term and you can't liquidate. So when you put money into an angel investment, you don't get to liquidate until there's an exit event. So your money is going to be held up for five to 10 years. It's not like if I buy stock and then I, I all of a sudden need my money, right? I can actually cash that out, whether it's at a loss or a profit. Angel investing, you can't do that. And so for those reasons, I try to help people think about their maturity curve, where they are as an investor and their risk tolerant for, for reward. And, you know, angel investing is kind of on the more mature curve if you're just getting started with investing. You know, and thank you for describing that because it really describes the backdrop, right? It's, hey, there's other things you can do, right? Oh, I think that might be it. We funder. Thank you. Um, I'm looking in the chat. Yep. That was the one I was thinking about. I know Arlene Hamilton ha has a platform too. There's some legislation going through right now around starting to rethink, um, a, you know, accredited investor versus non-accredited. So I think over time it's going to change. But for some angel groups, you definitely want to check on if you have to be accredited or not. And there are some out there where you can get started. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Erica. So, you know, we're, we're getting close to the end, but what I want to do is provide the audience an opportunity to ask questions. So right now, um, if you have a question, you can type the question in the chat. I'll read it. Or you can raise your hand and we'll unmute you and we'll give you a chance to ask your question. So we're going to take two, two to five questions, um, five max. But what questions do you have for Brooke? And what I'm going to do is just um, as we wrap up, Brooke, um, let's see here. And yeah. I see one already from, a, is it Gia Johnson? Yeah, go ahead. Do you so, want to read uh, or, or answer it? Yeah, I, I can read it off. Uh, do you primarily work with tech startups? Have you seen any entrepreneurs in the health and wellness space acquire funding via VC or angel investing? So first part of the question, do I work primarily with tech startup companies? I would say no. Uh, maybe 50% are tech startups just because that's my natural network. And I just have a lot of friends and people in my community that are now starting their own businesses. So maybe 50% are tech startups. The rest, I would say, vary. Literally one of my clients right now um, owns a, a hair salon and she's expanding into products. Some of my customers are doing experiential uh, real estate experience type uh, ventures. I don't want to say too much and, and spill other ventures, but it's all across the board. And again, that's the part I love about what I do is those business principles that we're talking about. When Calvin, you mentioned that foundation, the foundation is the foundation. And what I do is try to bring in those resources, that knowledge, and ask the questions, but it's actually the entrepreneur that comes up with the answer, if that makes sense. And okay. health and wellness space, yes. Health and wellness space is booming now. Do that TAM research. Go out there and Google health and wellness space, total addressable market, or VC companies that are VC backed. There are a ton out there. They're all doing great. 
So even though sometimes it feels competitive, if you've got a great idea and you can build a great story and understand how you'll differentiate, you can still go after that space. Awesome. So I now have my question that I'm going to ask you, but keep typing your questions in the chat. And so the question I have for you, Brooke, as we wait for um, the audience to type their questions and we're not going to miss you. So we got a few people watching those questions. Thank you, Brooke, for helping out. Um, but um, one of the things that I've said that I'm really proud of, right, is, you know, the African-American women, entrepreneurship and in this investing space. Can you just kind of give us a backdrop of some of the things that you're seeing? Like, I, I think there's opportunity. You talked about the DEI space. What opportunities are you seeing for black women? Um, you know, good things like the coalition that you're working with. Anything that the audience should be thinking about if they're curious about these um, opportunities? That's a great question. There's so many. I would say community, I think, is really important. We are finally moving away from the scarcity mindset where we feel like, oh, we're the only Black person in the room or we're the only woman in the room and starting to move towards a mindset of abundance. There is plenty of room for all of us in the room. We actually go further, faster together, period. And so community is so important. So step one, I always say, not just as a Black woman, but especially as a woman of color, go find your community and you can go faster. I'm a part of so many groups now. I go to so many conferences. I always meet amazing women. They become my tribe. We pour into each other. We help each other. We open our networks. There's really nothing like it. So step one, find a community. Step two, I would say, I see so many great business ideas. I think now is the time to be courageous. It's never been a better time to raise money. There's never been a better time to, to do entrepreneurship. And we are unlocking all of this knowledge that historically 10 years ago wasn't available to us, right? It wasn't available to maybe our grandparents the way it is to us. And so we have a responsibility, I think, to take advantage of that, to go forward. Um, trying to think of some of the groups I really love. I mentioned um, Black VC for the venture capital group. I'm also part of a, a women in VC group. Tons of angel investing groups out there. You just have to find the one for you if you want to go into angel investing. And for my entrepreneurs out there, same thing. Look specifically in your space and you can find uh, a lot of a lot of community. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so let's go to some of the questions in the chat. I'm going to start from the bottom and go up. Um, and so let's see here. One of the questions is, uh, how did, uh, go ahead, Tamika. Oh, no, I had one ready to ask, but okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm glad you're ready. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, from Mia, can you give one example of passive real estate investment? I can. I can. So passive real estate investing is kind of the opposite of active. So a lot of times what we do is a little more active. If you're fixing and flipping, you're wholesaling, you're actually out there doing the work. That's a more active investor. Whereas passive is where you're putting the money in and letting someone else do the work. And so if you know people in the investing space already, they can bring you personally opportunities where you may be able to put your money in for, I'd say returns on that would be anywhere from 5%, 8% to 10% standard, where maybe someone you know was doing a specific project and they were like, hey, you put 10,000 in, 20,000 in, I'm going to give you a 10% return. They'll walk you through the deal and you can go through it. There are also uh, syndications, if you're familiar with syndications, where you can actually invest. Um, it's kind of similar to a fund approach where there are these little real estate funds that go out and invest in certain things. Um, I know a guy in particular who, who does specifically multifamily projects, um, storage units, and mobile home parks. 
and you can put your money in. He's got some requirements. I think it might be for his fund, $50,000 buy-in. They're not all that way, but this one in particular, and you put that $50,000 in and he goes and puts it to work for you and they guarantee a certain return you get back and they'll tell you how much you can get back for that. Um, REITs are more also passive. If you're familiar with REITs, R-E-I-T-S, it's um, real estate, but real estate stocks that you can invest in. So similar to stock markets, but different, you can Google search and get some information, but that's also a really great passive uh, real estate investment opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. So um, Tamika, you have a, the next question. I'm laughing at Andre's question. Have you been the first check writer in your investing? Yeah, uh, Andre is a good friend of mine, so uh, he threw. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's a great question. Uh, for the ones that I invested in, I'm trying to think if I was a first check writer. I think most of the ones where we invested, the companies maybe already had a friends and family round, so we weren't the first check. But I've definitely done some at the seed round, seed in Series A. So maybe not the first check. It always depends on when you get to your angel and you need that, um, but pretty, pretty close. Awesome. Um, next question. And Tamika, let me know if you're ready with another question. Yeah, I have one. Go ahead. Um, are there any books that you would recommend that provide the basics of angel investing? Another great question. So keep in mind, angel investing is going to have, we'll have the same principles as venture capital investing. It's just the fact that as an angel, you get to write your own checks versus investing in a fund but the principles are the same. So in angel investing, the way you think about valuations and dilution and all those principles are the same. I personally recommend for anyone that wants kind of the ins and outs of venture, like Venture 101, to read a book called Venture Deals. It's fantastic. We can look it up, Calvin. I can drop it in, but you can search on Amazon Venture Deals. Make sure you're getting the most recent edition because there's several editions out there, but it is fantastic. It's also written from... It's written by a VC, but from the um, founder perspective. So it's a very founder-friendly book, even though it's from the venture capital part. But it's a great 101 crash course on how to think about valuation, dilution, different scenarios, and all those terms that you're going you're gonna to encounter as an angel or in VC. Awesome. So let's do one more question because Brooke has been talking and we got to give her access to her water. And we're at the top of the hour is there, Tamika, one more question? Well, let me do this person. Brianna's been waiting patiently yes. for our last question. That was the one I was going to read, so okay. go ahead. Um, Brianna's asking, how did or do you balance work, business, relationships, spirituality, etc., especially in the beginning? She's trying to keep it real. She's like, it sounds like you're busy. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> she want to know how you do it. Let's keep it real. I am so busy. But you know what? I have gotten to a point where I'll be honest, I've experienced burnout before. So pre-COVID 2019, I was on the road 70% of the time, traveling every week, in and out of town, in the bed at midnight, up at 6 a.m., pounding coffee, getting on the plane, off the it's just this crazy fast lifestyle where I didn't even realize how tired or exhausted I was until I paused to stop. And I was like, never again, I'm not going back there. And so for me, I really embraced uh, meditation. Right, This was right before COVID, but definitely through COVID, where I started paying more attention to my body and what I need to be successful. We as entrepreneurs, especially, but I would say this goes for anyone, we can't show up as our best self when we have a half-filled cup. 
if I'm exhausted when I come to work, you're not getting the best version of Brooke. If you're noticing that all day you're triggered, right? Every comment is just setting you off. Somebody sends an email and you're like, I'm gonna let them have it, right? You're not in a good, healthy place where you can react to that. And so for me, I try to emphasize what makes me feel good every day. That's actually something that I'm bringing to uh, the entrepreneurs I work with. I'm actually in the process of getting meditation certified right now. I'm a big fan of um, Deepak Chopra's uh, products and services, which are all around balancing mind, body, and spirit. But step one, I say, figure out what makes you feel good and healthy every day. For me, it's meditation, uh, big on spirituality. So having time to pray in the morning, get my mind right, get some walks in. I need nature. And then in that way, I am prepared for the day. You think about resilience. Resilience isn't something that you turn on and off. It's a muscle, right? It's something you have to build. And so having those different things that you're using to build it, for me, again, it's a meditation sets me up where no matter what's happening around me, I'm calm on the inside. I'm calm. I'm centered. I'm in control. I know my faith. I know I've got the knowledge and resources to figure out whatever it is that I'm happening that day. It's not the end of the world. Brooke's going to get on the other side of it. We're going to get through it. And I'm able to kind of lean on my breathing tactics, pausing for a moment. If the day is super chaotic, I will actually step back and take 20 minutes to take a nap or turn things off and kind of reset my day. And so I think it's really being self-aware and in tune with your body and what you need to show up as your best. Hey, and it doesn't get any better than that. Brooke, thank you for being not only you, but being a holistic you and sharing that with us. Um, we recently did a um, segment of the the strong silent types. And what that means is people who work hard and they suffer in silence. So thank you for sharing that with us because we understand that Superman and women aren't created, right? Overnight, it's a muscle and you essentially have to pay attention to those things. Now, people, we Amen. are getting excited. One more thing I want to add on that, Go ahead. Yeah, please Last do. thing I want to add is you don't get it perfect every day. I sit this and say that to you. And sometimes I'm up till midnight working. It's not perfect every day. But you know what? Every day I wake up, I know it's a new day to be better and to try it again. So every day that we're here on this earth, we take a breath. I don't care if you blew it yesterday and you're like, man, I really blew my wellness routine. The next day you wake up, we have another chance. So I just want to put that out there. Don't beat yourself up if it doesn't happen for you every day. But just keep in mind, that's how you have to approach entrepreneurship and everything. How can I learn? What mistakes did I make? But today is a new day for me to be better. That's it, Calvin. Yes, yes. You know, I didn't realize that you had another passion there. We would have talked about that. We don't have to do entrepreneur church. Yes. Church for the entrepreneurs. Yes, yes, yes. So now, people, we're going to have some fun. We have some awesome entrepreneurs lined up. Brooke is actually going to switch hats. And what she's going to do is step back and she's going to listen to some pitches. She's going to listen to some pitches from some entrepreneurs who have been doing this for a while. And essentially, um, Erica, we're going to spotlight you um, if your camera comes on. And what we're going to do is we're going to start with Jean while we um, wait for Erica's um, camera. And Jean, I just want to say, um, wow, what do you think about uh, Brooke's presentation? That was some great information. It was very helpful, very insightful. As someone who is trying to navigate how to approach uh, the investment community, I, I really learned some things and uh, it was very, it's very, very insightful. Great, great information. Awesome. Awesome. And Erica, how you doing? We got you on camera. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yes, I enjoyed um, listening to Brooke and I learned a lot. And I was thinking the mindset um, 
of an entrepreneur is typically shared with the mindset of a VC. Like everything that she was saying about how you wake up every day and it it has to be a brand new day because uh, being an entrepreneur, raising money, building a team, it can get really, really stressful. And so uh, without that mindset, it's easy to burn out and it's easy to to give up. So I love the last thing that she said. Yes. My, my favorite part, what she said is, you know, that 20 minute nap. I love my naps, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because <laughs> times have changed. People used to think napping was a bad thing. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. In Europe, I was reading somewhere in the olden days, they had a thing they called two sleeps. Yes, yeah, so two sleeps. That means we didn't sleep once a day. We slept twice a day. I like that world, right? Anyway, yes. <laughs> I digress. Let's get started, Gene, with you. I'm going to ask the question, and what I would love for you to do, and then what I'm going to do is um, pivot to you, Erica, is I really want to hear your pitch. And just so you guys know, surprise, Brooke and I are going to talk about y'all after y'all do your pitch, right? And we're going to let people know what we think. And, you know, this is just really cool. But, you know, you guys can handle it. You're, you're pretty tough. I, I've been a television meteorologist for over 25 years. My career started in Houston. And I moved to Atlanta. I've worked in Birmingham. I've also been on CNN. And a couple of years ago, as I started my own consulting, I came across a gentleman who had a specific need. We built an app to try to meet that need. And we thought, you know, we might have something here. And lo and behold, three or four years later, uh, we're seeing tremendous growth and we're very excited about the prospects for the future. And I'm really interested in getting in front of somebody who can be critical about what I'm trying to do and say, hey, you're, you're almost there. Here's what you need to do to tweak it to get it to the next level. Uh, but just like you said before, everybody needs money and that includes me. <laughs> and I love I love when Brooke said that because sometimes people don't think it. They be like, don't you already got money? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how business works. So Erica, let's do your introduction and then we'll do the pitches because we want to know people let people know who, who they're speaking to or who they're listening from. Sure. So I'm Erica Harvell, uh, co-founder and CEO of NoDad Inc. We are a geo-targeting mobile marketing platform that helps local businesses connect to the right customers at the right time in the right service area on mobile. Awesome. You know, so let's hear the pitches now. And I'm going to go back to Gene. And uh, so WaterWatch Pro, I, I think I got it right this time, right? And I can actually you read got it in the background. Why you created it and why do you consider it an ideal candidate for venture capitalists or angel investors. Okay, well, you can probably see these slides on the screen right now. So WaterWatch Pro is a mobile app and it is uh, paid for as by a subscription software as a service. Uh, the, the problem that we're solving is that uh, people in the construction space, oops, well, that didn't go as that. <laughs> Ever had that happen? Uh, <laughs> we're gonna try that again, all right. Construction managers, uh, uh, soft stormwater inspectors, and civil engineers require specific rainfall data. And legacy methods such as rain gauges and online searches don't provide consistent results. The total accessible market of a 1 million encompasses the construction, civil, and environmental engineering sectors. The challenges that these uh, people face is that they are subject to fines if they do not comply with EPA rainfall regulations which can average about $25,000 a day. In addition, uh, cost overruns can end up being about 1% of the total project cost if they don't manage rainfall sensitive activities. So our app uses digital NOAA rainfall data that tracks the rainfall to a specific location, specific GPS location, providing text and email notifications in a variety of methods based on users' needs. 
We market it as a 30-day trial. You can upgrade up after the 30 days, you upgrade to upgrade to an ongoing monthly subscription. And we charge uh, between $12 and $24 for every five locations we monitor. And it's based, the, the pricing is based on different levels of service because we offer a variety of features. Everyone doesn't need all the features. Again, the way this started, I've, I've been a television meteorologist for over 25 years. I met a gentleman named Joe who did something I never heard of called stormwater inspecting. He's got to go out after it rains to see if the rain is causing runoff. Uh, his problem is that it doesn't rain where he is the same amount as his construction site. So he's driving all over Metro Atlanta. If you ever tried to do that, it's tough to do to try to account for rainfall at 30 odd sites. So we built the app at first to help him. We have uh, sold it through resellers, through search engine marketing and through trade shows. And of course, before COVID, I was able to go to trade shows and since COVID, been a little bit slower, but yet and still we've had tremendous growth. What I'm looking for is $250,000 in seed funding, uh, offering a 10% three-year convertible note. We're gonna use the money for sales, marketing, and technology upgrades. And here is our revenue growth year to year since we first started. And you'll notice 2022, we're already at where we ended up at the end of 2021. So we are seeing uh, tremendous growth and we expect that to continue. Uh, what we are assuming with that growth, if uh, we get the funding, is to have two new clients per day with a 5% dropout rate. So again, that's me. I'm Gene Norman. Uh, my app, WaterWatch Pro, is a software as a sorry, so software as a service subscription model. Awesome, Gene. Pack away. Awesome, Gene. Gene, by the way, Erica, and everybody, Gene surprised us with his PowerPoint, and he was ready, right? And uh, I once heard the term, fortune favors the prepared. And I didn't even ask him to do a presentation, and he was ready. What are your thoughts, Brooke? What did you see that you like? What did you see that anything missing? What do you think about Gene's pitch? Absolutely. So first, I want to give you a little virtual round of applause, Gene. It takes courage to pitch. So kudos to you for coming on here and pitching, number one. Uh, number two, I say to every entrepreneur, remember that you are the prize. Pitching is scary, but the prize is you and your business. So make sure you come at it with that energy. I love the idea being in real estate on the development side. I definitely understand the problem that you're trying to solve. One thing that I want, if I can ask you a question, if that's okay, Calvin, that's missing for me, mm -hmm. was to talk about the competitive landscape and what you're doing that may be differentiated. I'm not really getting a sense of what you're doing here that might be proprietary or patented. Are you aggregating data? Are you getting the data? Are you middlemaning? Talk to me a little bit about your product and maybe how you're right. differentiated. Well, again, in, in like a two-minute time frame, I didn't, didn't have time to put that slide in, uh, but we do have a slide that talks about the competitors. And it talks about the fact that uh, the data that we're using comes from NOAA. A lot of our clients are concerned that if they get hauled in for uh, to to prove their that that they were complying with the EPA regulation, uh, what do we have to back it up? Our data comes from NOAA, the National Weather Service, uh, that is you know paid for by yours and mine tax dollars. So is there anything, though, proprietary that you're doing? So what's to stop someone else from tapping into NOAA data and creating the same app? Right. Well, because we have the secret sauce of not only targeting the rainfall to a specific location, we also provide uh, notifications. And very, I don't know anybody else that is doing that. We're pushing the information to the end user. So that's also part of our secret sauce, that it makes it different from competitors. Lots of the other competitors out there 
you can put in one location, um, but you still have to go get the information. You have to go open up the app, look at the information. If you never open up the app, we're sending you all the information you need every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I like that, Gene, because it sounds like you guys are definitely betting on the first mover advantage. If you guys can get there first, if you can get that beachhead first, then you can probably maybe begin to defend against competitors. I also like what Brooke is saying is that competition is real, competition is strong. If someone else get that 250 to 500K, then how would their competition affect what you're doing? So I would add, uh, I think two questions would be great. So Brooke did hers and I'll do mine. One of the things I like to see is um, great presentation, by the way. I like the way that you were prepared. One thing I would like to see, and maybe like you said, in two minutes, you couldn't do it. But whenever I see numbers and growth, great graphs, by the way, great growth model, it looked very, very interesting. But I would definitely like to hear the story behind where you got that first few years of growth and what you expect, you know, what's going to support the future growth that you're promising. Right. So the first years of growth was me going to trade shows, shaking hands, learning about this industry. Because, again, I'm just a dumb meteorologist. I don't know anything about stormwater, civil engineering, construction, none of that stuff. Uh, when I was on TV, I was just forecasting, hey, you're going to get two inches of rain. Once it fell, I didn't care what happened to it. Well, there's a whole industry of people who are very concerned about what happens to that water. And so I listened to my customers. I made adjustments to our product to make it more valuable and useful to them. And that has helped us grow. In addition, we just had a tremendous breakthrough toward the end of last year with two very large clients who put in hundreds of locations into our into our uh, system so that they could get the information that they need. And word has spread off of that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Gene, for pitching and giving us the chance. And like Brooke say, you know, pitching, you know, I like the way she described it. You are the prize. So kudos to you. And I love your story. If you would hold tight, I would definitely like to hear a little bit more of your story for people who are interested. And we're going to share, Tamika's already shared in the chat how people can contact you. She gave them your website, waterwatchpro.com. And if you have any other um, locations that you, or websites you would like people to follow, feel free to mention that for the audio recording. Um, next up. Really quick, is, Gene, get some IP. If it's a tech product, you got to have patents on this I, this technology. Like literally someone else, you could go do the hard work and prove this market. And someone else could say, man, that was a fantastic idea. There's no patent on it. And go patent something and take your whole business from you. So I love what you're doing. Don't underestimate the power of patents. Um, I actually have a good person I can put you in touch with if you need some coaching on how to think about getting patents around your tech. So we can connect offline, but I just have to put that out there, uh, Calvin. All right. Yes. Great. Thank you. Good catch. She had a part A and a B. Yeah, she's bad. Good job, Brooke. Next up is Erica. Erica, you have to go behind Gene, who had his PowerPoint ready. And uh, unless you're magic, I don't expect you to have a PowerPoint. Oh, my goodness. She got a PowerPoint ready, too. Ooh-wee. I love it. They are ready. <laughs> Did they ever hear the word fortune favors the prepared? So we're going to hear from Erica, and she's going to pitch her app. All right. Hi, I'm Erica uh, with Nodad. We are a geo-targeting mobile marketing platform. So have you ever gone to Google looking for new restaurants around you only for the same restaurants to pop up? It's pretty frustrating, right? And then you get really ambitious and go to the next page, and it's the same thing. 
Well, that problem causes 92% of local businesses to struggle to generate repeat revenue. Mm -hmm. And NODAC decided to do something about that by uh, delivering highly personalized, relevant local information through geo-targeted push notifications, text message marketing, and hot offers that are segmented to customers' businesses want to target in a specific geographical area. We are focused on 1.5 million local businesses in the U.S., which will give us that 3.5 billion initial market. And then our long-term goal is to target the $201 billion that's being spent globally in this sector. Our team is really efficient. I have over a decade of experience in high-scale customer loyalty with AT&T and American Express Plenty. And our CTO, Ryan, has over 15 years experience as a lead software developer. We have very strong key differentiators, but where we focus is this white space over here where there's no uh, turnkey solutions that allow local businesses to send personalized push notifications to their users using geo-targeting. And we're non-intrusive. So we collect a marketing profile from our users to make sure that the businesses are targeting people who wanna know about them. Our go-to-market strategy is to focus on uh, building relationships with uh, entrepreneurial organizations, um, wholesalers who have products in stores, and they want to help the the, whole, the retailers get the, the news out about their products in uh, pilots with franchises and local chains. We already have uh, three partnerships, one with a CBD drink company who has uh, over 1,500 stores across the United States. They're actually partnering with us and going to pay half price for a monthly subscription for the stores that um, sell their products. Uh, we have a partnership with the tourism office here in Nashville, Tennessee, and Corner to Corner, which is an entrepreneurial uh, organization. Um, here is a use case. One thing that we love to talk about is this nail salon boutique. They actually used our product for two weeks after using Nextdoor and Google for 30 days. They spent $530 with Google, got th 334 clicks and nine phone calls over 30 days. They got 21 walk-ins with us, 1,700 clicks in a seven-day span. Um, our five-year projections uh, with the influx of the funding, we're raising a $1 million safe, which um, the first year it will allow us to build out our team, complete the second phase of our product, um, and then uh, scale our marketing channels. And that's it. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. She is ready. Erica, you I bad girl. You bad. <laughs> Kudos to you. Brooke, I'm gonna let you go first because um, I, I, I have no questions. I'm about to think about questions. Go ahead, Brooke. <laughs> Absolutely. So very nicely done, Erica. Kudos to you again. I'm cheering over here. I love I love the presentation, and I would say a nice job of showing up well. I feel like a lot of um, time is spent making sure we're covering the right points in a pitch. And I really like the flow of your story. You gave me a really clear TAM. You gave me a competitive marketplace. You showed me your traction, how you're thinking about growth. All of that was really great. So I think you nailed the components that people want to see in a pitch. Two minutes is hard. I have questions about every slide that you went through. Yeah. <laughs> Quite honestly, I'd say the one that comes to mind to me the most is that what you're doing is, is kind of a two-sided marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to have the clients on one side who want to market with you, but you've also got to have the registered users to be able to push their marketing to. And mm -hmm. so talk to me a little bit on how you're thinking about building those marketplaces because one can't exist without the other. And I saw that you kind of covered it in that GTM slide, but we didn't get a lot of detail. So just tell me how you're thinking about building both of those so that they both have to be a certain size to add value to the other. 
So, and uh, that was one of our bigger uh, issues um, in the beginning. Uh, but what we've done now, because we have the text message marketing, we market that to the businesses because the, the users don't have to have the app for the businesses to text their customers. So uh, selling the text message service to them and then sending out a link um, on their first text to ask their users to download the app. And then we've also built in value on the user side to where even if there were no businesses paying us, the user still gets notified of new businesses that they've told no that they want to know about. So like if somebody builds a marketing profile and says, hey, I want to know about black nail salons around me as they're driving around, they'll get a notification regardless if that nail salon is on the app um, or not to notify them. Okay. So how are you getting your users and um how are you getting users on the actual app platform? So is that something where your business client already has their email marketing list where you're then taking those users and kind of putting them in, into a tech subscription where you can, I'm trying to understand how you actually get, you know, that interaction with the end user to begin with. Like, how do they know about you? How do they get signed up? How do they get the app? So uh, right now uh, it's uh, advertising in Google play uh, influencers, word of mouth, um, I do a lot of uh, events around town. Um, so it's uh, it's a little bit of both. And we just built in that uh, network effect where we're working with the businesses and saying, hey, get your customers to also download it. So just building in that network effect. Nice, nice. And how, I'm just curious, um, not necessarily about your pitch, but how are you finding the raise process? Are you already out there raising? Are you feeling supportive with getting in front of VCs? What's that process been like so far? It is very difficult. So we're raising right now on WeFunder. Um, okay. We're, uh, you know, I have to say the disclosure, testing out the waters on WeFunder. Um, so far, we've raised about 20000 from our personal network. Um, but, you know, with those type of platforms, they don't um, push you out to other investors until you get to like 50000 And so um, just, you know, working with, the, the WeFunder team to, to, you know, try to squeeze that other 30,000 out of my, uh, my network so that it can open up. Um, but we are reaching out to um, angel investors in the West Coast. Like I am in Nashville. And so at first it was really difficult because Nashville is straight health tech and music tech. But after COVID, what we realized is, you know, it's easier to connect with investors through Zoom. And so we do have a lot of uh, interest um, uh, you know, a lot of commitments that say, hey, when you raise a large amount, because we're only raising a million and yeah. the funds that have reached out to us want to do a million, but they want to do it in large when we get uh, to a larger raise. So. Got it. Definitely understand. They want to do more at like your series A once you get to that next point. That makes sense. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Awesome questions, Brooke. Um, a couple questions for me, um, Erica. Um, I downloaded your app and I happened to kind of I saw a couple things, right? The technology in me, I saw, you know, a little slowness, you know, on the website. So I was a little concerned about that when it comes to scale. In addition, I saw that, of course, you're located in Nashville. And I didn't see, of course, you know, an Atlanta model and things like that. So when I began to see your financials, I was a little, little, little skeptical of how you're going to grow, right? Of how your team is physically going to grow. Of course, you guys are located in Nashville. You can knock on doors. You can grow there. But what's your plan on essentially supporting your growth? One thing about the pitch is I saw the numbers, but it was hard for me to digest what that growth looked like over the next few years. So some bar graphs like um, Gene had could be helpful so we can visualize it within that you know few seconds. But I'm very you know concerned about growth and how you're going to get there based on seeing a little slowness on your app 
in addition to seeing that your beachhead or your setup in Nashville? So um, that's another reason why we're raising, right? So to build the team to help us do that. Today, we close a partnership with a um, development center in Atlanta so that they can onboard their businesses in there. And so initially, we thought that we had to go region by region, right? And so we only focused on Nashville to get product market fit. And we you know, just recently um, reached product market fit. Um, and so building in... I'm sorry, raise, raising the money, we'll be able to hire biz dev associates who can take on certain regions and, and begin to build up um, build up those areas for the B2B side. With the B2C side, it influencers, like we have uh, commitments with um, um, uh, NFL players and NBA players who will help us, um, you know, get those uh uh, the user acquisition for the B2C side. So we don't think that it'll, you know, be a lot of work to get the downloads. It's just moving into other markets and which is why we're raising. So like we're, we're um, in Nashville even growing pretty quickly. And so I need to hire uh, in Nashville. So we've already um, uh, interviewed the biz dev people. We just need the funding to bring them on. Awesome. Awesome. Great response. And, you know, and, and identifying that as a weakness and really kind of speaking to it like, hey, we're raising money and this is why and this is how we, you know, it just kind of shows that foresight. But great job. Wow. OMG. Brooke, what do you think? They ready. I love it. Same thing, Eric. I love what you're doing. If you want to collect online and I can help get you introduced to anyone, let me know. But we'd love to connect and see how I can support. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Awesome. Awesome. Now, what I want to do, Brooke, thank you for being here. I know um, at the top of the hour, uh, you didn't expect to hang out much longer. So thank you for doing that. Um, is there anything, um, feel free to hang out. I'm going to give the audience a chance to ask Jean and Erica some questions. But Brooke, anything else um, before we transition from you to the audience? Last words, you can do it. Entrepreneurship is great. Get support where you need it, but believe in yourself. Awesome. Awesome. So, wow, that was awesome. What do, you, what do you think, Erica Jean? What do you think? Yes, that that was that was awesome. That was I was over here um, trying to figure out the two minute pitch. I'm like, what do I put in here for two minutes? I've done the pitch so many times that I knew I was like, OK, I got to say this. I got to say that. I got to say that. But yeah, it was an, an adrenaline rush. <laughs> yeah, I, I love your readiness. I really, really do. I mean, because we didn't even talk about that, right? I mean, I mentioned it, but you know, you also, Gene, I mean, your awesome readiness. And I love what you guys are doing because, um, you know, that app space is awesome. Gene, I like how you pivoted. And, you know, I would definitely like um, if the audience, we're going to just take at least five to 10 minutes before we wrap up. But, you know, I know we had a whole list of questions, but I like to be lightly scripted. So if the audience has any questions, please tap it, um, type it in the chat. But, Gene, one thing I would love for you to share is a part of your story. And, Erica, I'll get a part of your story. <clears throat> is, Gene, I love the story of your career and how when your career took a turn, you pivoted. I love that, right? Because one of the things that, you know, we've discovered is that, you know, tomorrow's in promise and you just never know what's going to happen, right? Do you mind sharing with the audience your life before you got into app development and how you, what skills and what emotions and feelings you went through to pivot into what you're doing now? Right. Well, the main thing is fear and necessity. So I had a 25-year television career and uh, I eventually got that tap on the shoulder. Hey, thanks a lot, but uh, we got somebody else. And I was a little bit lost for a little while there because I didn't know I mean, I thought I was going to be on TV forever. Uh, and when that didn't happen, I had to learn how to do other things. 
And I think that for maybe, you know, Erica and every, everybody else out there, you have to always be ready to be adaptable. Uh, the world is constantly changing. Even what we're doing now, no one would have thought about this five years ago. What? Get together on a computer in little boxes? Nobody's going to do that. And now <laughs> this is this is the way of the world. Um, so learning how to do new skills has really benefited me. And I've learned a lot of things along the way. And quite frankly, the app development kind of fell into my lap by accident. Uh, I was at a networking event. Someone said, hey, you're the weather guy. Uh, I got a friend who does this inspecting thing, and he's, you know, really bummed out because he's got to travel all over the place trying to look at these inspect, uh, look at these sites after it rains. That's driving him crazy. And I said, you know, I think there's a way we could help him. Now, I didn't know it was going to work. No one knew it was going to work. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. You don't know it's going to work, but you've got to at least get out there and make some effort. We had a good idea. He's not the only inspector in the world. So I thought, well, maybe if it's going to help him, going to help other people. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs must have that same idea. I'm sure Erica does. I mean, you know, everyone goes on Google to look for something. And wouldn't it be great if you're driving through a neighborhood and you don't know, maybe you don't live there, or but you just don't know, oh, there's a soul food restaurant over here. Oh, there's a hair shop over there. Oh, there's a clothing shop over there. And they're telling you, here we are. Come on in. I mean, these are just great ideas. And uh, when you have the drive and energy to take them to market and to see them, look, I'm telling you, when we started getting that growth, I was like, oh, yeah, we're on the way now, baby. Let's keep it going. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome story. Awesome testimony. Now, I, I know also you provide some type of consulting, right? So do you want to share that with or do you want to focus on the app? I just really, really want to focus on the app. The, the consulting okay. thing is something I do in, a, in a, another capacity, but... The app is my real passion, you know, and it's what is really driving me and where I want to end up spending most of my time. Awesome. Awesome. Next up, Erica, if you could take us home. Erica, tell us about your story, that origin story of how you got into app development, because I happen to know that you also didn't, you, you weren't born there. How did you get there? Man, um, so my journey started from my kids. Uh, my son came running to me mad because I didn't take him to a water park. Um, that opened in our area. And it was simply because I didn't know about it. Um, and he found out about it on the last day of summer because his friends were teasing him on Snapchat um, with videos and making fun of him because it was too late for him to go. And he uh, ran in my room and he said, Mama, did you know there was a new water park here? And I said, no, I didn't know that. Um, and I called around and asked, you know, family and friends had they heard about it. And only one person did. And it really irritated me because I kept thinking to myself, how in the world did I go all summer and not hear about this three dollar a day water park? Like that makes no sense. Um, and I just mentioned to my son that somebody needed to build an app that rewarded locals for sharing what they know and call it know that. And he said, why don't you do it, mama? And at that time, I didn't know uh, about too many uh, black people in tech, let alone black women. And I you know, just thought to myself, why not me? And I was at uh, AT&T and loyalty and retention um, at that time. And I just started um, researching and hired developers out of India. Um, before we launched, I moved, uh, not moved, I traveled to India and worked with the team there. And uh, we launched from India. Um, and it just went from there. <laughs> awesome. Kudos to you, right? Because, I mean, that's just an awesome story. And I heard a quote 
and I'll end here. In our generation, we've seen a whole generation of people become involved and intertwined, almost dependent upon corporate America or jobs. Some say that the jobs as we see it today will disappear. The world will evolve. Entrepreneurship is the future. I like how Brooke described it, that where entrepreneurship and business is a great avenue for change. And I see both of you guys are working and you're creating that change. And I love this excitement because it's scary. But the statement that I like best is for the next generation, wouldn't it be great if we gave them the gift of being able to take risk? The gift of being able to start a business. The gift of being able to step out and do some entrepreneurship. Just a little risk, right? Not going to Europe and just, you know, finding myself for a few years, but the ability to take those small risks and start an entrepreneurship. Kudos to you two for taking those risks and deciding to do. And I know from the chat tonight, people have been inspired by the stories, by the excitement and your commitment. So thank y'all. Next week's show, while you're still here, have y'all ever realized, y'all see how my skin is glistening? Y'all see that? Let me turn sideways. You see, you know, I didn't realize this, but, you know, as we get older, we start thinking about, you know, we want to, I heard age gracefully, but that's a bad word. You can't say that anymore. I heard that plant-based nutrition, healthy eating, and holistic healing is a key point of letting your skin shine, of growing gracefully. You know, we can't say age gracefully no more. No, 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 no. It's about the nutrition. Why? Because when people see your skin, they see your health. When they see your smile, they see your health. Next week, we have three awesome speakers, a chiropractor, a plant-based nutrition, um, health and nutrition coach, and a keto cook and nutritionist. What they're going to do is break it down for us on how we continue to have beautiful skin from the inside out as we take care of ourselves from the inside out. It has been an awesome time tonight, and I thank y'all for joining us. As y'all know, I'm going to play a few of my daddy's favorite records, also known as songs that Gene don't recognize. <laughs> and I thank y'all for being here tonight. I'm going to play a few songs, and I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.